Church History, England, Lights and Shadows of the Reformation, London, G. Morrish, 20, Paternoster Square, before 1915. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded podcast. Cranmer and the King's Divorce. Cranmer was introduced to the king in a curious manner. On the return of the king from Woodstock he stopped at Waltham, full of anxiety as to how his cause was to be decided. He had looked to Rome, and Rome had played him false. Whither should he turn now? was the all-absorbing question. Fox and Gardiner were supping that night at a gentleman's house, where they met with Cranmer, whom they had known at college. At supper they asked Cranmer's opinion of the divorce question. He told them they were on the wrong track. There was a surer and a shorter way to satisfy the king's conscience than going to Rome. What is that? they asked. The true question is this, said Cranmer, what says the word of God? If God has declared a marriage of this nature bad, the Pope cannot make it good. But how shall we know what God has said? Consult the universities, said Cranmer. The next day the king said to Fox and Gardiner, well gentlemen, our holidays are over, what shall we do now? If we still have recourse to Rome God knows when we shall see the end of this matter. They told him what Dr. Cranmer had said. Where is Dr. Cranmer? said the king. This man has the right sow by the ear. Cranmer was fetched in haste. Cranmer was annoyed to find himself dragged into the question, but there was now no help for it. The king requested Cranmer to lay aside all other occupation, so as to consider the matter and make his report. Then calling Anne's father, he told him to receive Cranmer into his house till he had drawn up his report. Cranmer drew up his report. He believed the king's marriage with his brother's widow was contrary to scripture, and that the Pope had no authority to set scripture aside. Will you abide by this, that you have here written, before the Bishop of Rome, said the king. That will I do, by God's grace, replied Cranmer. Henry had not yet done with the Pope. The Earl of Wiltshire, and doctors. Cranmer, Stokesley, and Edward Lee, with some others, were sent to the Pope, to argue the king's case. See note. Cranmer soon returned to England but was dispatched to Germany by the king. Note. It is said that when the Pope met these envoys, he put out his foot for them to kiss it. The Earl of Wiltshire and the others disdained to do it, but the Earl's Spaniel ran forward and gave the toe a bite, which made the Pope hastily withdraw his foot. End of note. While away, he married his second wife, a niece of Asiander's wife. The fall of Wolsey was rapid. He had been the most powerful man in the kingdom. Ego a rex mois, I and my king, was the way he viewed his own position and that of the king. He was impeached for high treason, but Cromwell so well defended him that he was acquitted. Wolsey's hopes revived, but he was again arrested on a second charge, this broke his heart. Alas Master Kingston, said he to the governor of the tower, if I had served God as diligently as I have served the king, he would not have given me over in my grey hairs. This is my just reward. Unquestionably he had served himself before anyone else. He was now on his deathbed, but his hatred to the Reformation was not abated. Tell the king, said he, that I conjure him in God's name to destroy this new pernicious sect of Lutherans. God was about to open a door in England for the truth. And one of its worst enemies was now being taken out of the way. He died November, 1530. In 1532 an act of parliament was passed abolishing the payment of annates, see note. Or first fruits to the court of Rome, a memorable statute as breaking a link which bound England to Rome. Note. From Annas, a year. The profits of one year of every vacant living was claimed by the Pope. The new act gave them to the king. End of note. Warham, Archbishop of Canterbury, died in 1532 and Cranmer succeeded him, but in accepting the office he refused to receive the appointment from Rome. He said to Henry, neither the Pope nor any other foreign prince has authority in this realm. Can you prove what you have just said? asked Henry. Certainly I can, said Cranmer. 
Holy Scripture and the Fathers support the supreme authority of kings in their kingdoms, and they prove the claims of the Pope to be a miserable usurpation. The lawyers were asked what was to be done. And they suggested that someone else should go to Rome and ask for the appointment. Cranmer did not object to this, but he declared that he would have nothing to do with Rome, and reserved to himself the right of speaking against the Pope and attacking his errors. This was a great step towards the Reformation. Henry however was not so far advanced. He sent to Rome, and the Pope, being glad of still having some link with England, gladly gave the appointment. But Cranmer refused to own it, and three times publicly protested against any oath his representative might have taken contrary to his duty. He was bound to the law of God, the rights of the King of England, the government of the Church of England, and, the reformation of all things that may seem to be necessary to be reformed therein. Yet, strangely enough, after all his protests, he took the usual oath to St. Peter and to the Holy Apostolic Church of Rome. The universities, including some of the foreign ones, declared that the Pope had no authority to set aside the law of Leviticus. Cranmer then proceeded to declare the divorce without the Pope. We, Thomas, Archbishop, Primate, and Legate, having first called upon the name of Christ, and having God altogether before our eyes, do pronounce and declare that the marriage between our Sovereign Lord, King Henry, and the Most Serene Lady Catherine, widow of his brother, having been contracted contrary to the law of God, is null and void. This was May 23, 1533. On the 28th of the same month, Anne was declared duly married to King Henry, they had been married privately before the divorce was pronounced. In the meantime a brief was printed and circulated by the Pope, addressed to Henry. We exhort thee, our son, under pain of excommunication, to restore Queen Catherine to the royal honours which are due to her, to cohabit with her, and to cease to associate publicly with Anne, otherwise. We pronounce thee and the said Anne to be ipso facto excommunicated, and command all men to shun and avoid your presence. Thus Henry obtained the divorce, and Anne was now his wife. In getting this he had been excommunicated by Rome. Henry would renounce the Pope. The Pope and his cardinals, said Henry, to the French king, pretend to have princes, who are free persons, at their beck and commandment. Sire, you and I, and all the princes of Christendom, must unite for the preservation of our rights, liberties, and privileges. We must alienate the greatest part of Christendom from the Sea of Rome. Though Henry said this he made another attempt after the divorce to be reconciled with Rome. But the Emperor had the Pope in his grasp and he would not allow him to make peace with Henry. Again the King of England was compelled to turn away from Rome against his will. God was over all and he so ordered it. Henry was enraged, and wrote a book entitled, On the Power of Christian Kings Over Their Churches, Against the Tyranny and Horrible Impiety of the Pope. It was all right to throw off the yoke of the Pope. But alas for England if the Church had no other head and no other reformation than that of Henry. He was the instrument in God's hand to further the Reformation from a national point of view, and as far as turning away from the Pope was concerned, but Henry, in turning from the Pope, did not turn to Christ. His shield was not faith, and his weapon was not the Word of God. We must now endeavour to see what God was doing by his Spirit and his Word to bring about the Reformation.